right. John 4 is such a rich, rich, rich text. Wasn't that fun this morning? Just to, to soak in those things. And uh, I'm just thankful to the Lord to get to talk about that on Mother's Day. Um, I didn't plan that. That was just the way the timing of the series worked out. So praise the Lord for that. So we could dig into John 4 from a theological standpoint. We could dig into John 4 from an evangelistic standpoint. You know, I didn't really deal with a paragraph about the harvest fields and so forth. But what I, what I want us to focus on is more just our daily walk with Christ in light of these things. So I'm going to start with the first question and just kind of share and answer myself, just kind of to set our direction and then um, ask you to, to chime in on the rest of them. Uh, we won't pass a mic around or, or something, but we are using these. So if you speak up a little bit, that will, that will help everybody. So the first question is uh, from um, where Jesus says, if, if you knew the gift of God, uh, which is in verse 10. And so the question is, why is the phrase gift of God um, encouraging? And I'm just thinking that we are when we're, when we're seeing clearly, we, we are very, we know that we're very needy people. I mean, I know that we can have times when we're arrogant and when we're self-confident and things like that. But we also have many times when we just feel completely insufficient or helpless or even worthless. And so because of that, it's such good news that we don't have to earn or deserve God's help. But don't you get stuck thinking that way anyways? One of, the, one of the jokes I've had with a couple of people in our church is we would joke about their, their Mormon hangover or their Catholic hangover or something. If they were from a, a, works, a more works-oriented approach to salvation and then came to understand the free gift of God in Christ, but then they, found, they would find themselves kind of sometimes drifting back to, I kind of got to get my act together and earn God's help <laughs> right now. I'm kind of a mess. Um, and it's just Isaiah 55, 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Isn't that wonderful? Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And so when we feel in life like I've got nothing, Jesus is for people who have nothing. As a matter of fact, the problem isn't our nothingness. The problem is when we think we don't, we think we're good and we don't need him. We think we've got what we need. Um, like, like in Revelation, you know, you, you think you're doing okay. You don't know you're miserable and poor and blind and naked. So it is a gift of God. Praise the Lord. All right. Why does Jesus use water as an illustration? Of course, it's not the only one, right? He uses bread and some other key illustrations. But why is water... Uh, a, a helpful illustration of who he is for us and what he can give us. Thoughts on water? Yes, sir? You can't live without it. Right. Yes, David. Mm. 
Yeah, so it has that kind of dual idea with the cleansing, too. Yeah, right? Water cannot be manufactured. That's true, right? It's really a gift of God, isn't it? That idea of you can't live without it, us people with plumbing, we just have a hard time getting that, right? Have a hard time understanding what it's like to actually be dependent on each day's water. And if the well doesn't have it, or if the spring doesn't have it, what are we going to do? How are we going to live? I mean, that, that subsistence living is still the case in many places around the world, right? Where it's, it's day to day whether we're going to have the basics for survival. That was the world they knew. Um, that's the case when we go to Togo with the water situation there. And one of the miracles God did was allowing that hospital to have such abundant water through their wells. Okay, what are some other passages that use the water illustration? What what can you think of? Other passages? Isaiah 55. Yeah, we just named Isaiah 55, right? You who have no money, come receive this water. Okay, Isaiah 55, what else? The, the bitter water at Mara. Mm-hmm. Great. Yep. Dave. Right. He refers to being born of water in the spirit in John three. What's the other big one in John? I didn't. I just. I didn't have time to go look at it this morning. But remember the other big one in John. Anybody see where it's at? John 7, look over at John 7. John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Anybody else think of another passage? Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Psalm 1. Water to wine, Jesus' first miracle. Yes. Another, com- another closely connected psalm is 63. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Did somebody say Psalm 23? He leads me beside still waters. It's a, that is a drinking thing too for sheep. Right, that's, that's Psalm 42. Yep. Mm-hmm. Revelation 7 says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, mm. and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Love that. And from there you can go right to Psalm, I mean, to Revelation 22, the river of the water of life that flows out from 
from God's throne, yielding these trees with, for the healing of the nations. All right, how can we find encouragement for our routine days in the emphasis Jesus places on the water as living in John 4? And I'm also tying that to John 7 and that idea of it springing up within you or, or, or flowing out of you. How is that imagery, that picture encouraging day to day? Hi, Jean. Right. That renewal idea is so valuable, right? Um, in our day-to-day lives where the challenges and the pressures and the temptations and the fatigue come and come and come, and to know that there's each day's grace and renewal that's possible and more supply when we're sure we're empty. Any other thoughts on that? Yes, one minute. Yes. Yes. That that hope that maybe God might use me to be a blessing to some other people if it's not just up to me, if there's this source of living water coming up through me out to other people, um, it just gives us hope for how God might use us and others and then the way God can also minister back to us. Right. Okay. So um, what does... Well, by the way, another, you know, another illustration of that in John is the vine and the branches. Same idea, right? Um, vines don't produce fruit for themselves to eat, uh, but for other people. And so as the life of Jesus flows through us, it results in, in this food, spiritual food for other people. Okay, what does Jesus mean in verse 14 when he says that we will never be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Okay, so it's verse 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Because obviously we get thirsty a lot, right? We have spiritual needs that we are aware of and struggling with. So what's he talking about? I think that refers to like what I said, where Jesus, the Spirit, fills all in all. Like water fills every, every crack and crevice that it comes to. Hmm? So he fulfills up everything for us. So with him, we will no longer thirst or pant because we have the spring of life within But we do. But we, do we still do thirst, right? I mean, we still... He, we, we have all of Christ, right? We have that sufficiency. Mike? I think of uh, in his presence is fullness of joy and his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Mm. Just the satisfaction of our soul mm. uh, being quenched. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else. Everything else leaves us thirsty. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the spiritual uh, fulfillment in Christ 
is like water that is always there for us and available. So yeah. in our flesh, we struggle, but we always are rooted and grounded now in, in Christ. And so that satisfaction is always there waiting for us, and we can turn to it when we, whenever we start to go astray or dry up. It's, it's yeah. there. We're no longer seeking to fill the pitcher. It's already filled for us. We just have to drink of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. The, the fullness of joy is there. The sufficiency in Christ is there. I think that's what really the verse says, because it says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring. So that's it. That's, it's, it's always there. We might be running around trying to drill wells in the world, you know, to find water. Um, but actually, there isn't reason for that. So, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. She's jumping around trying to find the next thing that will satisfy. And, you know, I see that all Right. Yeah. And even if we, even if we take it the other way, like, I don't, I don't think we can look at this passage and say for certain that her sequence of relationships was because of sin. That's possible, but we don't know that. Um, so that's possible application. But even if we take it the other way, the same point's still true. If what she'd experienced was one heartbreak and one earthly tragedy after another, that still leaves us thirsty for what's solid and strong and stable and hope-giving and life-giving. So in either case, the sequence of either heartbreaks or sinful relationships with her both need the fullness of Christ. Right. Either way, she hadn't had that stability at all. Right. Right. Great. Yeah. Okay, so you're going to have to help me flesh this out. Okay. (laughs) This is an agricultural society. For an agricultural society, a spring is a very different thing from a river. Springs are super important because they're out in the middle of the desert where there's nothing. And you stand on top of a hill and you scan for miles and miles and miles and you look for that green smudge. And there's the spring. That's where the spring is. Yeah. And even if you take your sheep there, and there's no water on the ground, apparently, you start digging down a little bit, and the water bubbles up, and then your sheep get to drink. And the trees, they might get a little droopy, but they never dry up. So the shade and the respite were always there, no matter how bad the world gets around them. And I think that's why they use the word spring. Even to the naked eye, it appears that there's 
Yep. I don't think you need me to flesh that out at all. You did great. Crystal and I went last uh, September, so, you know, as, as dry point as you can get in the desert. And we found this little canyon with this little oasis in the middle of nowhere, right on San Andreas Fault. Probably a great place to hang out, right? Um, and in, in September, we... You know, you can see the evidence of the subterranean water all around, but we found about this much. We found one spot where it was above, you know, but it, like you're saying, if you had started digging there, there, there was water to be found, which is a great metaphor for our lives. Yeah, and connects to Psalm 1, even though that says rivers, but same, same concept there in Psalm 1. Okay, uh, three more questions, and then we'll, we'll finish up early today. Um, how can we do the... Oh, by the way, I'm, on that previous question, I do think a simple one simple way to think of that never be thirsty again is that it is well with my soul idea. Right? That I, 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 I am... That fountain of living water is mine. Gee, the Spirit is in here. So no matter how dry my day might be, that's not ultimately who I am. Um, okay, how can we do the same thing that the woman did in verse 15? <laughs> So first of all, what did she do? What's her problem in verse 15? Do I have the right verse there? Let's see. Yeah. What's, what's wrong with what she says there? I mean, she was taking what it was intended to be spiritual and giving it a physical application. Right. Right. She's just thinking physical. Fine then. Make it easier for me to get water. I'm, I'm fine with that. So how could we turn that kind of into a principle that we might, something we might struggle with? How did you? Faith for an eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So get in, kind of get in this mindset that what's most important, if we lose the eternal perspective and, and lose what's most important, we can kind of get in this mindset that what really matters today is what's easy or what's convenient or what's comfortable. And that's what I really need God to do for me. And what I really hope God will be. And so where's God? What's he doing? Why is he not? Because we just live, again, it's hard for us to grasp what the, 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 the comforts and conveniences we live with are just so rare in all of human history. It's insane what we live with. And out of that can come a tendency to grumbling and complaining and discontentment and stuff that's just astonishing. Like, 
we have this miracle device, you know, whatever it is, whether it's your microwave or whatever, this miracle device in our lives that 99.9% of humans in all of human history have never had. But man, if that thing breaks, my soul is not well, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was just, uh, in my, in my own Bible reading and stuff, I've been, um, poking my way very slowly. You probably learned that I poke my way very slowly through most things in my Bible reading. <laughs> I've been poking my way through Jeremiah Burroughs, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. And just this week I was reading Has God made me see the dreadful evil of sin? and made my soul sensible of the evil of sin as the greatest burden, how can I be then so much troubled for every little affliction? Certainly, if I saw what the evil of sin was, that sight would swallow up all other evils. And if I were burdened with the evil of sin, it would swallow up all other burdens. And then he kind of takes that to the positive and, and with Christ, and he says, what, am I the soul to whom the Lord has revealed the infinite excellence of Jesus Christ? And yet shall I think such a little affliction to be so grievous to me? When I have had the sight of such glory in Christ as is worth more than 10,000 worlds. <laughs> and that's not to make light of true suffering and the hard things that we go through, but it's that heart that's like, I can't believe my microwave's broken. Where's God? <laughs> It's like that kind of mindset that he's, he's addressing when it's like, oh man, he has given me the sight of such glory in Christ as is worth more than 10,000 worlds. Can't that put the broken thing, the inconvenience in, in, in perspective? So I think that's the point that we're talking about here is just when we become very earthly minded and our, the greatest good we can think of is that life would get easier or more comfortable or more fun today. Um, and we've really lost our perspective on things. Anything else on that? Okay. Um, how can we do the same thing that the woman did in verses 19 and 20? Change the subject when you feel under conviction. We wouldn't do that. No. I mean, just <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> Maybe even in our own just even all alone with the Lord, we could do that, right? In our own Bible reading or whatever, hit a section of scripture that's like really hitting home and just keep right on moving. <laughs> you know, don't want to park there for too long. Um, find ways to numb ourselves, find ways to distract ourselves when God's really pushing on something in our lives and just, you know, turn on the TV, grab the phone, get the computer, whatever. 
Don't, uh, don't give the time and space for God to work in, our, in, my, in my heart about it. Or even, and this goes along with what Hygiene was saying, I think first, even use theology to distract from something that might, God might be really pushing to my heart about. Like, it's just, it's just easier to discuss some interesting theological point from a sermon than to say, what, what is God doing in my heart, you know, with that? So, okay, last question. Oh, yes. Because what she's saying is, just tell me which mountain I'm supposed to worship at so I can know I'm doing it right. Yeah. And Jesus is going for something much more, much more heart-oriented. Yeah, good. Okay, last question. How can we make practical daily application from the illustration in verses 32 and 34? Chris? Delight yourself in the Lord. Yes, Christina. He's saying reading the Bible is spiritual food, not just a checklist or duty or something like that. My food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Okay, so do you like food? Are there, th- are there other things in life that you like similarly to food? Broaden it out beyond food. What else do you like beyond food? That's just, it's something you really enjoy. It brings a lot of enjoyment to your life. Is it your garden? Is it getting out on your bike and riding? Is it listening to music? Is it, what are the, what are, what are the things in life that kind of like food? Or maybe it's just food. <laughs> I just love to eat, right? Can you Can you take that, whether it's food or something else? Now, can you particularly think of something in life that you really enjoy and you know that sometimes you tend to kind of make that thing your God? My, my video games, my, my golf, my comfort, my naps, my <laughs> whatever it is that you really, my being all alone to work on projects, my garage, my shop, my... Can you take something where you know, boy, sometimes, you know what, I turn to that when I'm just kind of running from life. I just want to, rather than God, that's kind of where I, where I go. 
And that takes a place in my life that's more than it should take in my life. Now, can you, can you take that sense of joy and meaning and, and, and fulfillment that you get from that and then by faith say, okay, wait, actually, what would be even better than that is to do God's will today, to do God's work today. In other words, as, as much as you love that, can we by faith believe that to do the will of God would be more satisfying, more meaningful than that? It's a, it's a motivation question that we're talking about. Jesus is saying, this is motivating to me. This conversation with this Samaritan woman is what, this is what I'm about. This is what my days are for. And I, I'm, thanks for getting Jack in the box, but not right now. I got something more important to do. Not, sorry, not Jack in the box. Thanks for getting steak from the steakhouse. But I've got something better to do. That's, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. Like, it's not maybe steak for you. What is it for you? Like, okay, thanks. That's good. I love watching sports, but to do the will of him who sent me would actually be better than that. By faith, can we believe that? Believe what Jesus says and then act on it. it it's a way that we can start by God's grace to, to, to kick some of the idols more to the side of our hearts when maybe they've started to creep into the center of our, of our hearts and we've gotten off track. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? Okay. All right, anything else from John 4? Anything that I didn't touch in these questions here, but it was just something from this morning that you just, your soul just kind of jumped for joy. Something that was joyful for you this morning? Yes? That you can be in the eyes of others, maybe a nobody, Great. You can be a nobody in the eyes of others and yet be so valuable to Christ and useful to Christ too. Very similar to that. I was just thinking about your excitement about what God has done for you could help you overcome your insecurities Yeah, yeah. chasing around the desert, just randomly drilling wells, hoping something might, you know, work. Yes? Just love regardless of our past. Mm -hmm. The point about her leaving the uh, 
Mm. Yeah. Jesus, Jesus was never someone who neglected his responsibilities or anything like that. And yet, in that moment, you get this idea of, like, the world's just gone to him. He's just totally caught up in, this is what God has for me right now, and I'm going to do it with all my heart, and, and leave, don't, don't bother me. <laughs> I got, God's got something for me to do today, and he was going to do that. And it was when he was so weary. Yeah. And probably needed to get going, I mean, too, you know, at some point. I mean, there are just lots of reasons why he could have not had that big conversation with her. Yolanda. I love that because she proclaimed Jesus Christ. Not only did she proclaim Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, it was so contagious um, that in verse 42 it says, We have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. And I, I just like, Yes! Mm-hmm. Every, every part of my body says, Yes! Yeah. How God used her. That, that's God-given contagion, right? Hu- human contagion is not a real thing in evangelism, but God can make us uh, compelling, contagious in a good sense. Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for that rich, rich story. And uh, here sits a group of people who, by your grace, have been brought from chasing just the, the poisonous waters of the world and instead been brought to what is truly eternal life. Here sits a group of people who is going to live forever and enjoy abundant life forever. Oh, how good you have been to us. And for all of our brokenness and suffering and all that is so hard in our lives today, because of you, our days are just so full of joys and meaning and purpose, even in all the heartaches. Um, You have truly given us life more abundantly. It is well with our souls. And so we just praise you for all that you are in Christ. I pray that you would take what was heard in that message this morning and even for those who were guests here or if there's anybody who doesn't know true life in Christ, we just long for you to use that in their hearts. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.